Hello and welcome to the Global Venturing Review Podcast. I am your host, Thierry Helis. I am the editor of GlobalUniversityVenturing.com and as always, I'll also bring you the news from GlobalCorporateVenturing.com and GlobalImpactVenturing.com. It's been a big, big week this time. I know I say that a lot of times, but this has actually been a very big week. Starting with, well, SoftBank. To quote Masayoshi's son, the founder of SoftBank, who told the FT, the door is always open for a second and third fund, but we're not very popular. Well, SoftBank raised almost $100 billion for its first vision fund back in 2016 and invested three quarters of that, showing a slight paper profit in its latest results to the end of September, which we'll get to in a second. This would usually be seen as impressive given the usual J-curve in venture capital funds where the money initially invested takes time to reap profitable returns, eventually achieving multiples, if it is a top-tier fund, over at least a decade. While the relative unpopularity of SoftBank's second vision fund, which has only raised internal capital, stems from its massive bet on WeWork, which was of course whacked by COVID on its tendencies following a disastrous IPO attempt, but which is now showing signs of life in China and countries opening up again, with vaccinations hopefully to be delivered to people from early next year. Kathleen McCarthy, global co-head of real estate and alternative investments firm Blackstone Group, told news provider Termsheet, quote, WeWork was really on to something that employers were looking for. As landlords, we need to amenitize buildings and also think about the constellation of our tenants so they complement one another, end quote. If SoftBank can get through the next few quarters and benefit from the post-Covid recovery of the economy, even its largest bet might start to move its valuation back in the right direction. To give it time for this to happen, SoftBank has since March sold about $90 billion of its holdings, including stakes in T-Mobile, Alibaba and, most recently, of course, ARM, for up to $40 billion. It has also reshaped its board of directors, with Rajiv Misra, head of the Vision Fund, Marcella Clore, its chief operating officer, and Katsunori Sago, its chief strategy officer, leaving the board. More on that later in this episode. While a slight demotion, retaining its people and its focus has been a powerful sign of strategic longevity, even with tactical changes. And while SoftBank did indeed have a anus horribilis in the fiscal year that ended in April, booking a $16.8 billion paper loss on its investment by Vision Fund as WeWork fails to go public and, well, also OneWeb and Brandless went bankrupt. Though OneWeb has since been saved in a somewhat mind-boggling deal by the UK government in a bid to use its technology as a replacement for the EU's Galileo system. Despite the fact that OneWeb satellites are neither equipped or even in the correct orbit, to deliver such a GPS alternative. And yet, while the six-month results it announced a few days ago seem to indicate it has turned things around, announcing $1.3 billion in partial stake sales and an increase of $8.5 billion in the valuations of portfolio companies for both that and the successor Vision Fund 2. Perhaps that's going to help it get LPs for that vehicle, which so far has, of course, only got $5 billion from SoftBank itself. Although Masayoshi's son does not seem too hopeful about those external LPs. 
However, SoftBank's Vision Funds are very much back in the game when it came to investments, and Vision Fund 1 has participated in a $500 million Series C round for autonomous delivery vehicle producer Neuro. The round valued Neuro at $5 billion nearly double the $2.7 billion valuation at which Vision Fund provided $940 million in Series B funding for the company early last year, and it was led by funds and accounts advised by T. Rowe Price. And as we head to the end of a turbulent year, the IPO option continues to be taken up by some of the more highly valued venture-backed companies. DoorDash has filed to go public on the New York Stock Exchange, six months after it raised $400 million at a $16 billion valuation. The food delivery service is one of the tech companies that has thrived as the coronavirus has caused more people to stay home, and it more than trebled revenue in the first nine months of 2020, while more than halving losses. SoftBank Vision Fund, our old friend, is its biggest shareholder, with a 24.9% stake. Well, usually we'd only cover one exit, but talking of IPOs, there is an elephant, perhaps the biggest elephant ever in the room, of course, Anne's failed attempt at going public. And here, the what-if school of history truly has a new moment to consider. What if Jack Ma, founder of Alibaba and its financial services spin-off Ant Group, had decided against speaking at the Bund Finance Summit in Shanghai. His opening remarks, thanks to transcription and translation by Interconnected, at the summit described himself as, quote, quite torn about whether to speak, end quote. But in the end, he decided, quote, I am basically retired at this point, so I thought I would speak freely at this unofficial forum and share the non-professional views of a non-professional individual, end quote. His speech came the day after deciding on pricing the IPO for Ant. Ma said, quote, This is the largest listing ever priced in the history of the entire human race, and the pricing happened in a place other than New York City. This was unthinkable five years ago, even three years ago, but miracles happen. End quote. A few days after the speech, and regulators called in the company Ant Ma, who might be basically retired, but who still has effective control of Ant. The IPO was then postponed and stricter restrictions started to be put into place both for Ant and Alibaba. Ant's IPO on stock exchanges in Hong Kong and Shanghai would have raised at least $34 billion from nearly $3 trillion in advanced orders for shares and valued the company at $313 billion. Ma's speech effectively said China should take the lead in quote, sustainable green and inclusive world trade, end quote. But for this to happen, policymakers and regulators had to use technology and trust innovators rather than aim for, quote, zero risk. He added, quote, The competition of the future is a competition of innovation, not a competition of regulatory skills. We must transition from the old way of people looking for money, businesses looking for money, to money looking for people and money looking for good businesses. The only standard to evaluate this system is whether something is universal, inclusive, green and sustainable. The cutting-edge technologies backing this standard, like big data, cloud computing and blockchain, are already ready today to take on this huge responsibility. It is time to think about how to build a new type of financial system through digital currency, to think about the future for the entire world, to think about how global trade will get done, and even more so to think about how the world can have a digital currency built on top of battle-tested technology. It is really about solving the problem of sustainable, green and inclusive world trade. End quote. It was an image for the world of Ant and Alibaba's own successes over the past 21 years, of course, 
But just as Ant Group's 18-strong international corporate venture unit under Kani Man has increasingly found it hard to do deals in the US facing American authority opposition in the past few years instead turning to Southeast Asia, Israel and Europe, so its freedom to maneuver and operate in China is subject to officialdom. And being able to use another $30 billion of cash from the IPO to invest in technology and corporate venturing is now on hold. And while Ma finished his speech, referring to the pandemic, he was right more broadly in the sacrifice required, stating, quote, So I would like to conclude by saying that today's human society has reached a most critical juncture. A new financial system is the way of the future. Whether we like it or not, it will be formed. Whether we will do it or not, someone will do it. In the future, I believe, reform will require sacrifice. There will be a price to pay. Our generation has to do this kind of reform, but it may only be visible to the next generation. It may be the one who must carry this burden forward. This is a historical opportunity and a historical responsibility. End quote. What if, indeed, some god-awful timing for that speech, although, in essence... <laughs> the man is right. Let's take a look at another story from the past week, a crossover between the corporate VC and university spin-out worlds. Menlo Security, a spin-out from UC Berkeley, has raised a nine-figure amount, the cybersecurity software provider, having received $100 million in a Series E round, valuing it at $800 million. American Express Ventures, HSBC and Ericsson Ventures are among the company's earlier investors, and it's now raised a total of about $260 million. Cash will go to upgrading its engineering and go-to-market activities. That is the biggest stories of the week, although we do have some news in briefs, all of which are still nine-figure deals. Cybersecurity software provider Sentinel-1 has backed $267 million in a Series F round led by Tiger Global Management that roughly trebled its valuation to $3.3 billion in the space of nine months. Qualcomm Ventures was among the investors in the February Series E round, while another corporate VC unit, Samsung Ventures, backed Sentinel once, a Series D, in June last year. Autonomous driving technology producer Pony.ai has completed a $267 million Series C round that included FAW Group, increasing its valuation to $5.3 billion in the process. Toyota had led a $462 million Series B round in February. Everyone welcomed news this past week, of course, that a coronavirus vaccine might be on the horizon, based notably on the technology of a spin-out, as BioNTech emerged out of Johannes Gutenberg University of Mites. Electric scooter rental service tier is one company to potentially benefit from such a vaccine and a return to normal, and it secured $250 million in a Series C round led by SoftBank Vision Fund 2. The cash will support an expansion into additional European markets and comes after Tier raised more than 100 million in an AXA Germany backed round in February. Reg Biotechnology is another startup working on a COVID vaccine. The China based company has raised $227 million in a Series B round from investors, including Legend Capital, and the proceeds will fund work on the prospective COVID 19 vaccine as well as those for HPV, shingles, and tuberculosis. Online mortgage lending provider Better.com has secured $200 million in a Series D backed by Ping An, Ally Financial and American Express Ventures while pushing its valuation to $4 billion. Better's overall funding has now gone past the $450 million mark and its earlier backers include Citi. 
And Aitueshi Education Group is the latest member of China's online education community to pull in significant funding, securing $200 million in a Series D2 round led by GIC. Tencent invested an undisclosed amount just under a year ago, following some $290 million in earlier funding. Funds? Well, Bentley Systems, a provider of infrastructure engineering software, has joined the likes of Kellogg, Scott's Miracle Grow, and T-Mobile by harnessing Touchdown Ventures to launch a corporate venturing fund. Bentley iTwin Ventures is equipped with $100 million and will make strategic investments on behalf of its parent, supplying up to $5 million per deal. Its first portfolio company is subsea installation software developer FutureOn. Exits? Instacart has hired Goldman Sachs to oversee an offering early next year it expects will value it at about $30 billion. That's a huge increase from the $17.7 billion valuation the grocery delivery service registered when it last raised money a few weeks ago. Instacart counts Comcast Ventures, Amazon and American Express Ventures as backers, with the last of those having invested at a $400 million valuation. And Adobe has agreed a $1.5 billion acquisition of marketing collaboration platform developer Workfront, 18 months after investors, including Susquehanna International Group, made a $280 million secondary investment. Workfront had previously raised about $95 million in equity financing and will operate as a subsidiary of Adobe's Experience Cloud division. And Vista Equity Partners has agreed to purchase a majority stake in customer management software provider Pipedrive at a $1.5 billion valuation, with DTCP among the existing investors that will retain shares. DTCP, which was of course spun off and backed by Deutsche Telekom, invested $10 million in Pipedrive through a 2018 Series C round that valued it at just about $300 million, which means it's looking at a pretty nice paper profit on that deal. And finally, some comings and goings for you. As I said at the top of the episode, Rajiv Misra and Marcelo Cloret are leaving SoftBank's board of directors. Misra, head of the company's Vision Fund, and Cloret, the COO of SoftBank, who also oversees its $5 billion Latin America fund, will be joined by SoftBank Chief Strategy Officer Katuna Sergo and Yassir Al-Rumayan, a representative of Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. David Zilberman has similarly departed from his managing director role at Comcast Ventures, US-based Comcast's corporate venturing arm, and has joined venture capital firm Norwest Venture Partners as a general partner, a position where he will concentrate on early to late-stage deals for its enterprise and infrastructure investment group. And US-based medical care provider Tampa General Hospital will launch a corporate venturing unit led by Rachel Feynman in the first quarter of next year. Feynman will join TGH in the newly created role of VP for Innovation in January and will head TGH Innovations from her current position as Executive Director of the Florida-Israel Business Accelerator. Lundquist Institute for Biomedical Innovation, which is an affiliate of UCLA, has lost its Senior VP of Business Development and Tech Transfer, Keith Hoffman. Hoffman has left to become Chief Business Officer at UCLA-founded precision therapy developer Athos Therapeutics where he will be tasked with business development, funding and partnerships. And finally, Jin Liu Wang is set to join Ohio State University as its first executive VP for research, innovation and knowledge enterprise. She most recently served as interim president of SUNY Polytechnic Institute, which is a part of State University of New York, where she was also vice chancellor for research and economic activity. 
And that, dear listener, is it for this week's edition of the Global Venture Review News Podcast. Of course, we will have an interview again for you on Wednesday, so do keep an eye on that. If this is your first episode, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. If you enjoy it, why not share it, recommend it to a colleague, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us get in front of new listeners. Thank you very much to all those of you that have already done so. If you have any feedback, comments, questions, you can email me at thelis at globaluniversityventuring.com. That's T-H-E-L-E-S at globaluniversityventuring.com. I am always glad and happy to hear from listeners. With that, all that's left for me to do is wish you a productive week as always. And I will be with you again next Monday. Goodbye. Global Venturing Review was produced by In-Ear Production. You can find out more by going to inearproduction.com.